So hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the Spotlight Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Century 21 sales representatives in Canada, where we discuss the hot topics and important news in the real estate industry. So I'm your host, Lias Kilius, and with me, as always, is Aaron Richardson. Hello. Aaron is a broker and general manager with Century 21 Heritage Group. Aaron has an extensive background in online marketing, technology, and customer service. And I'm the head of business development at the real estate marketing company, Homania. So we've got a great show for you this week. We're going to talk today about basement apartments, specifically legally conforming versus non-legally conforming, the pitfalls and how they can impact the liability and bottom line for the purchaser, seller, and agent. But before we get into the meat of this show, we've got some interesting news coming back from the ongoing saga between the Toronto Real Estate Board and the Competition Tribunal, never-ending saga. So in this drama that's been going on for the past few years now, uh, that has caught the attention of real estate boards across Canada, the Competition Tribunal has ordered TREB to allow virtual office websites, those are online brokerage websites, to display listing data, including previous sales information, on any device unless a seller has affirmatively prohibited a listing from being shared anywhere on the internet. And also, TREB is also ordered to pay $1.8 million in legal fees. Of course, TREB and their lawyers have decided to appeal the process. Treb's argument is that releasing home data should be an opt-in process on the part of the homeowner, and that home sales data should only be available for a shorter period of time, not indefinitely, something like six months, arguing that this information should be more firmly in the hands of the homeowner. So Aaron, what do you think about this ruling? Oh, I, I'm actually really surprised. Um, there is some deep-seated legal liability issues, I'm sure, throughout the whole process, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised that um, and we can talk about the different competitive natures of our business and the reason why we're here and all the rest of it. But um, it's going to be an interesting few months to find out exactly, I guess, the more details of exactly what is going to need to happen within the Treb, Toronto Real Estate Board um, and how that Im impacts the rest of the country because all eyes are on Treb right now to see what it is that they're going to have to do. And, uh, and all the other boards are going to decide whether or not they're going to fall in line or suffer the wrath of the competition board on their board. So. Yeah. Well, one thing I've definitely learned throughout this process is it's going to take some time no matter what. Yeah. And uh, like as I said, too, Treb's already appealing the order. Uh, so this is going to be drawn out as long as possible. So I can't see anything changing in the near future. Of course, uh, the order said they I think they had 60 days to change anything, but then they appealed it. So who knows what's going to come from there. But Well, I mean, and I don't know if it's an official appeal. I don't know a lot of details that uh, haven't really come out um, because it's a legal ca case, of course. But, uh, you know, uh, the questions ever, I mean, there's tons of them, but uh, the main questions, I, I always try and take the standpoint of a consumer. Uh, I know I'm a real estate agent and, and we, we often think like agents, but, you know, me as a consumer now, if I've sold my house, um, first the question is, if any if anybody sold their house in the last couple of years, is that information now going to be available too? Um, and I thought, I, you know, as a homeowner, I'd sign a privacy um, you know, policy with TREB that it wouldn't be of it made available. So now, you know, is there legal uh, implications from that standpoint is the first question. Yeah, um, I almost wonder if it's going to have to be just like a going forward kind of thing. Because, yeah. Because uh, any sort of past agreements, you know, mm -hmm. much of you can just say they're null and void in this case. Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to do that. Yeah, so it's interesting the way that TREB's kind of taking their stance too on the whole, you know, being a privacy issue and having the information in the hands of the homeowners too. 
uh, and being an opt-in uh, process kind of kind of kills the idea of having just like this historical sales data because if you say only 20, 20, 30% or whatever people opt in, you can't get an accurate representation of the, the home sales in an area too. I think in order for it to be what uh, the competition tribunal wants to be like an accurate uh, portrayal of the historical sales data, it would pretty much almost have to be all of it in order for it to make sense. Uh, like we were talking off camera before, it's almost kind of yeah. like the long form census and how like that, that whole argument too, like making it uh, mandatory versus versus optional. Uh, it, it, you need to have something like as mandatory almost to make sure that the statistics are more accurate and representative of what's going on in the area. So Yeah. Um, another question is, of course, when uh, we have to, as a, as a board, provide that information in terms of a score or the data of the sold uh, price because – if I sell a house tomorrow, uh, we post the sales transaction to our board, um, and, the, and it's available to the members. And if that information is um, put out to the public, uh, whether it be through, you know, a password protected site or not, um, we uh, as realtors are bound to the Business and Brokers Act. We can only give the sold information price out. Uh, to the consumer that's asking for, let's say, a market evaluation, for example. Um, if we're giving it out to everybody, um, my concern from a consumer standpoint is what if that deal doesn't close? And now I have to put it back on the market. And now everybody has access to the data. Um, you know, is there not any legal you know, implications then? Well, I'd, I'd almost assume this just be my inkling would be that uh, it wouldn't be accessible to the public until after it closes. I'd assume, just in case you didn't ha you had any problems leading up to the closing. But I mean, I don't know. I'm not a real estate agent, so I'm not as familiar with the process as you would yeah. be. But, um, well, I, I think that's the, the the I believe anyway, and I, and again, I'm, I'd have to have some clarification on that. I believe that there um, anything that we have in terms of sold price and historical data information should be made public, and that includes the the deal that happened yesterday. So that deal hasn't closed yet. It's not, it's not a sold price until the house close, closes. So I'd be surprised um, to find out. Well, I am surprised to find out that we are going to be um, ordered to give that information out and a little worried at the same time. But, uh, you know, I, I, we roll with the punches too, right? And uh, that's not the reason why people use real estate agents. You know, it's not to get sold data. That's not the reason why we are selling houses. So I don't think it's going to affect us. Uh, tremendously, but it might affect the consumer, and I think it's dangerous. I, I just don't quite understand why, you know, the privacy commissioner hasn't stepped in on this one. You know, you know what it kind of reminds me of too is uh, when whenever someone's sick, and I've seen it all the time. My wife does, I do it, and most of my family does it too. But you, you've got this, you know, this weird thing going on your back or something. You decide to Google it. And you try and be your own medical doctor, right? And you try and figure <laughs> out exactly what it is. And, and Google usually scares the hell out of you too because, you know, usually you're like, oh, my gosh, it's like this potentially like life-threatening thing. You go to the doctor, they're just like, eh, it's, it's nothing or, or whatever. I almost feel like in a lot of ways releasing like this kind of data online could be something similar for homeowners too. That They look at the, the housing pricing information historically and they may not know how to interpret it, right? So that that's where it definitely helps to have a real estate agent look at the data and, and more, more comprehensive 
comprehensively look at it and yeah. be able to properly assess a home because they, they wouldn't necessarily know, you know, what the true comparables are for their house. Because uh, that, that information is, is something that, you know, you need more of an expert or someone who's de- definitely involved a little bit more deeper in the real estate industry to understand. Oh, so. there's, there's lots of uh, different uh, things that affect the sale price of the printed sale price of a home. Did the, uh, was there a commission cut in commission? Was there, um, you know, was there extremating circumstances that, uh, uh, that too, affected the price? Too many variables. And all they're going to see online, I'm assuming, would be, you know, bedrooms, bathrooms, the dates, and like the sale yeah. price mostly, right? At least that's what would be probably front-facing to make it a little bit more digestible for the consumer. So I, I'm not I'm not scared about releasing that information from a business standpoint, and I don't think realtors should be. That, that's not, that, that's not uh, I don't think that's going to affect things, and I, and I know some realtors feel differently on that. I, I don't believe that. Um, I mean, look how when we were, I don't know if it was, yeah, we were ordered, actually Canadian Real Estate Association was um, uh, made the a change in terms of putting private uh, homeowners names if they wanted uh, to go onto the system and say private, they still have to be with a, a brokerage, but let's say a, a, a lesser service brokerage that are just, you know, deal directly with the seller, put their information on the uh, realtor.ca. Uh, everybody thought the the industry was going to collapse because now consumers can go on our realtor.ca and sell themselves. I mean, that had such a negligible effect on on uh, on the system. And in fact, I th- I've seen less for sale by owners out there. Yep. than I've ever seen. So There's always people that are going to cry that the sky is falling, and they tend to be the loudest voices too. So uh, generally things are going to crash or, or change drastically overnight no matter what happens. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's perfectly fine. And, and, and also, like, it's, like you said, it's not going to negate the need for a real estate agent anytime in the near future. And if anything else, too, it could be an opportunity for a lot of more tech-savvy real estate agents that kind of jump on this and get on the bandwagon right off the bat, offering that home sales data and offering it online uh, through their virtual office websites, too. So uh, that where some, it might seem like a bad thing, there can also be an opportunity there for some. And uh, in terms of the, uh, I know we were ordered uh, as a as an association to pay the cost, the legal cost of the other side is one point seven million, I believe. Yeah, I think it was one point seven plus there was some addition. I ended up getting up to one point eight, I think, is what it was. But anyways, anyways, one point something million. So uh, at one point eight, uh, worst case scenario, divided by uh, one point eight. I'm just doing the uh, divided by forty thousand realtors on the tread board or more now. It's forty five dollars a realtor. So. Um, if anybody's worried about, you know, if you're part of the Treb board, Toronto Real Estate Board, I mean, it's the costs aren't what are important at, at this point in time either. Um, we had some questions at an office meeting the other day, you know, 1.7 or $8 million, we're going to have to pay that. And I asked the room, how much was that per person? They're like, oh, $400, no, $45. So I'm not yeah. too concerned on that end as well. I mean, they fought a good fight. I think it was important that they got a lot of issues out on the, to the table. They're making some good changes. They have made changes over the, you know, with the vows and all the rest of it. Um, this is just sort of, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but this is the end of the road too. So like you said, it could go on for another couple of years. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. So do you have anything else to say about that or should we be moving on to our main segment? Oh, we can move on. Okay. So now we're going to talk about legally conforming basement apartments. I'll let Aaron take away this segment and intro it maybe. Uh, when it comes to the sale or the leasing of basement apartments, whether it be from the landlord tenant side of things or whether or not it be from uh, a seller and buyer side of things, those are the, the four angles I want to sort of look at this from. Um, the issues that can come from non-legal or non-conforming basement apartments. First of all, the use of the term legal 
you know, is thrown out very loosely. Uh, however, you know, nonconforming is probably a little more accurate. It doesn't conform with the bylaws uh, within the municipality you're, you're residing in. So if you have a basement apartment and you want to rent it out, uh, the municip municipalities will have some sort of guidelines as to um, what you'll need to do to conform from a safety standpoint and to be, let's call it legalized with the town or um, registered with the town. Uh, and every municipality is different. So you have to go and check your own municipality. And this is what we do as real estate agents in order to provide the service to a, a buyer, seller, tenant, or landlord. Um, the issue arises, of course, when, um, let's say, you're let's do buying. Um, buying or selling a, uh, a house that has a, has a basement apartment in it. Um, first of all, as agents, we don't, we're, we've been pretty, pretty good at, um, or uh, the, let's say our educational process has been pretty good at educating us not to disclose the fact that this is an apartment. Because if it ceased to become an apartment on closing, because the municipal bylaw states that when transfer of ownership happens, uh, the new owner um, must re-register. Okay, um, there could be an issue, of course, with the fact that, well, I bought a legal basement apartment. Now it's not legal. And then they go back after the seller. So we never really like to say it's a legalized basement apartment for many different reasons, liability wise. Um, so be careful uh, when you are selling um, a basement apartment or even purchasing on behalf of the buyer. Okay, so if you're purchasing on behalf of the buyer, make sure that uh, they realize that it's not always going to be a possibility. It can it may not be legal conforming uh, on closing, and you have to check with the municipal bylaw officers uh, to find out what uh, your regulation is. Um, the main I, the main topic and the thing that I really want to talk about today is should you list or should you represent a landlord or a tenant? for a legal non an illegal non-conforming or non-conforming basement apartment. So Linus, if I was going to represent you and you said, listen, Aaron, there's one around the corner I want to see. It's a basement apartment. looks fantastic. I'm interested in it. Can you prepare a, an offer to, to lease that for me? And I looked into it and it was non-conforming legal, uh, illegal. Um, what are some of the questions you may have for me? Well, I've definitely lived in non-conforming basement apartments okay. in the past, um, but from your from my standpoint, I guess I'd say like you know why does it matter if it's non-conforming or conforming to me as long as like like how's that going to affect me in the long run? That's be, that'd be my first question right away. Is okay. what what's the big difference uh, as like a consumer anyhow? Right, right. There's safety issue. Mm -hmm. So if it's conforming, I would think the municipality has done what they could to make sure that it's a safe living space that if there was a fire you would be hopefully able to get out in time and there's enough safety precautions whether it be certain uh double inch you know double layered drywall or uh, sprinkler heads or you know in terms of exits there's enough exits um stuff like that so the municipality goes through a process of making sure that they're safe and the fire department and all the rest. I guess the, and then my next question too would probably be, you know, are my rights compromised as a tenant if it isn't a conforming or registered apartment as well? Like, is it something where you're not protected um, as a, a leasee, I guess, the same way that you would be for a conforming basement apartment? Or is, that, is there any distinguishing bit there? Actually, if it works in this, I, th I find in the opposite direction, there's uh, less protection on the landlord. So for example, you're leasing and uh, you decide not to pay Mm -hmm. uh, one of the months and they start coming after you for you know, you're late on payments and stuff 
I find the tenant uses that leverage and says, listen, I know this is not legal. I'm going to go to the town and start telling on you and you're going to, you know, not be able to rent this anymore and all the rest of it. So they use it a bit of as leverage, mm-hmm. uh, I find more than more often than not. Um, but uh, I, I my concern isn't so much whether or not we should or should not be from a legal standpoint uh, renting it to to you, Linus. I, I I would have a conversation with you that goes from some similar to this. Linus, I know you love the place, but I'm a professional I, and I have moral obligations. I would feel horrible to find out if you got hurt or somebody that was staying there was hurt because of a fire or because of something that happened um, from a safety standpoint if it wasn't legal and conforming. I'm just concerned for your well-being and I would hate to see something happen to you. So well, if thanks, you're interested, yeah, no problem. Linus. <laughs> if you're interested in that, um, you're welcome to make the decision to go ahead with the uh, whoever's leasing it. Um, but I, I'm just not going to be able to um, help you in that matter just because I just I don't feel comfortable. And uh, and I hope you can understand, you know, the reason why I feel that way. And and I guess as a professional, all you can do in a lot of cases is just to do the advisory role too. Like for instance, my mother-in-law, uh, she's looking to sell her home in the near future or maybe just rent out the back as well. And it's definitely not a legally conforming uh, apartment. People have lived there in the past uh, like, and, and she's been mm-hmm. their, their landlord essentially. But I mean, it's, it's very costly to get everything up to, up to code and everything for what's required to make it a, a legally conforming apartment. So um I mean, it's not going to necessarily stop her from, from renting it out if, if she makes a financial decision, just kind of leave it as is and rent it out the back. And there will be people that definitely will uh, enter into lease agreements with her for it. So, I mean, it's it's tough because it, it can cost a lot of money. I guess if you're, if you're representing a, a seller who's looking to sell the property, uh, that's always a concern for them. And I guess if I was the homeowner and planning and selling my property, the first thing I'd ask you is, you know, is it worth spending the money to make sure that this, this basement apartment that I've got is up to the you know, municipal code uh, yeah. or should I just sell it kind of as is and just and not really worry about it? Maybe like, obviously not advertise it as having a basement apartment, but you can always you know t- tell the people that you've been renting it out or whatever. I'm not sure what the situation would be, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. There, there are specialists in most towns um, in big, I would say big uh, cities and, and whatnot that specialize in doing um, inspections on basement apartments to see what it would take to legalize it. And a lot of people are scared to call the town because they're going to put a red flag on that property and they're you know, going to find out you're doing something wrong. You know, I don't think people should be scared of that. However, um, if you are nervous about that, you can bring through a specialist um, in your town, in your city uh, that will come in and they'll tell you. They know the municipal bylaws. They know the the the, um, the code uh, of what needs to happen and they'll give you a, a um, a quote uh, as to how much it will co- will cost you in order to bring that to code. Now, my suggestion, if somebody did come to me, let's say, Linus, you're now owner of the property and you want to lease out the basement um, and you've asked for my help to do that. And of course, if I get your business now and I'm doing this as a favor, um, um, hopefully when you go to sell, you'll be using me as a real estate agent. So my future business depends on me leasing out your basement apartment that happens to be le- illegal and non-conforming. I'm put in a tough position because if I turn you away, you're going to use another real estate agent. And there goes all my business in the future. So that's where, um, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, some agents within our office that are asking that question. And I'm kind of going, geez, that's a lot of, you know, so the, I think the best 
advice I'd have for you, Linus, if you're going to sell your house or, or if you're going to, sorry, rent out the basement apartment, is that, um, is that you go and get it legalized. Even if it costs you $10,000, you're going to get that and more when you sell it as a legal basement apartment that has been registered in the previously with the, ta- uh, with the town. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll never guarantee it going forward unless it can be. But, um, but the fact that you've gone through the process, you've got a certificate, it makes your house that much more valuable on the resale end of things, limits your liability in an insurance standpoint. And if somebody was to um, get hurt in your basement apartment, whether it be through a fire or, you know, um, then, then you're not going to have the conscience, it, it on your conscience as well down the road if something were to happen and, uh, and put somebody in that position. So why not go through the process and do it, do it properly? Yeah, right? for sure. Well, I mean, especially, I mean, for most people, it ends up being more of a dollar, uh, like a dollar amount thing because, uh, you know, you, you can say, you know, there's, there's these risks and, you know, potential legal hazards, but it's one of those things that you just assume nothing's going to happen to you. It's like, you know, my son riding his bike, he trying to get his helmet on. He, he thinks nothing's going to happen to him, but as a, as a parent, I want to make sure he's wearing that helmet all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so most people don't look at the risk necessarily that way. So it yeah. usually just does, does come down to a dollars and cents bit. So, I mean, for, for my mother-in-law, for sure, she's going to look at it and be like, hey, how much is it going to cost? How much am I potentially going to get back from the resale value of the home? Uh, and I'm, I'm obviously, like, the, the risks and, and, and the safety concerns are important. But I think for a lot of people, just realistically, they just, just assume that's not going to happen to them, right? So... Um, we did. We have spoken to our the Real Estate Council of Ontario on how they're um, how they see putting, uh, let's say, a buyer into a basement apartment that's non legal. Um, they're concerned more that we do disclosures to the to the buyer or the tenant, for example. We always say buyer, but the tenant that's going in there, um, uh, we do a disclosure that states that uh, we did not recommend, you know, the basement apartment because of the non legal, yeah. non conforming. And uh, they took it on their own liability behalf. Still, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care if there's proper disclosure. I'm not going to get sued. I'm not caring about a lawsuit down the road. I'm a little bit, but I'm caring about my moral, my, my moral compass, and knowing that that, that is going to weigh heavily on my conscience if something was to happen to the person I put into a illegal basement apartment. We say illegal, non-conforming, however you want to say it. But it is. It's it's scary to think that. Uh, that it could come down to that, but there has been, you know, you know, situations in the past where people have uh, um, lost their life in a in a fire in a basement that uh, that was an apartment and it wasn't uh, conforming use. Um, so, you know, it's just my suggestion would be try and convince the 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 landlord or the owner of the property in order to properly legalize it. And if you can't, uh, I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch it. You know, and if you want to try and keep their business, you know, maybe let them know that there's Kijiji Craigslist and you're happy to uh, help them um, review some of the documents as long as they understand you're not representing them. And, um, you know, you can help them along the process. But, yeah, it's 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 not something you want to get into. It's not worth it. The money's not worth it. For sure. Well, I will give my mother-in-law that advice for sure. There you go. Is there anything else you want to talk about on this subject or should we move along? Yeah, I think we can move on. Okay. So we'll just move into the app of the week. And this week's app is Waze, W-A-Z-E. It's an app that's available on both iOS and Android. You can get them in the respective app stores on those devices. And basically Waze, the way I like to think of it is it's almost like a Google Maps competitor, more like on the GPS uh, navigation side of things. Waze is really good if you want to get from point A to point B 
and you want to make sure it's the fastest way possible, avoiding any sort of traffic, construction, that kind of thing. And the way that Waze works, it's, it's crowdsourced. So anyone who encounters a traffic accident, they'll actually report it on the app, and that app, the app will note that and make you know uh, the proper calculations to take you on alternate routes if it does to know that there's an accident along the way. Now, kind of interestingly, though, Waze, and I mentioned it is kind of similar to Google Maps, was purchased by Google a couple of years ago for $1.15 billion. <laughs> Man, I wish I came up with the idea for Waze. Amazing. <laughs> That's, uh, it's amazing how much money, but I mean, it's, it's Google, and I guess it makes sense. And you're actually seeing a lot of the Waze uh, functionality start to make its way into Google Maps, especially on your Android devices. So Aaron likes this app a lot. I'm assuming you use it quite frequently. Um, actually, it's, it's interesting. It was brought up, uh, I don't know, two, three years ago when uh, when it was, uh, let's say, at the height of popularity when it first came out. Um, and it's just gained traction and, and people are using it more and more and some people swear by it. I don't think I swear by it because uh, I, I've got my um, GPS in my car. Um, but I started using it and I started really getting um, jealous of the fact my GPS doesn't have some of the functions in there and started to realize that I spent an extra three or $4,000 on that GPS in my car <laughs> and, and my, my phone would do a better job. Um, yeah, I started to really, and I, there's some good features on there that, uh, and there's one, um, where you can text or email your, um, location to where you're going. So let's say somebody calls you and you say, yeah, I'm going to be about 10 minutes late. I'll text you where I'm at. And, the, and you text it to them, they can see where you are progressing to the appointment that you're late for. So they, one, they know where you are and they know how long you're going to be. And it's, it's, it's quite a good feature, especially when you're, uh, you're, you're running late on an appointment when you're dealing in real estate. So That's a really handy feature. That's one that I didn't actually know about too. And yeah. I, one of my questions for you is as a user of Waze was going to be why do you use that as opposed to say Google Maps or, or Apple Maps if you're using an iPhone too. Um, because obviously there is mapping and navigation functionality baked right into those those devices. So, like, what would make you or anyone else go over to Waze? And I guess that's one big reason right there. So. One of them, and the other one, I was going up north uh, last weekend, and um, my Waze. I was using Waze. I said, you know what? I'm going to pop open Waze, and uh, it was telling me that there was a car pulled over to the right. I looked off to the right. There's that car. Like it knows real time. People are plugging these things in and using this app so readily that you're getting real time information that quick. So the other one is cops ahead, slow down. <laughs> you know, it's a bit of a radar detector as well. So it's quite neat. It, it amazes uh, me that people have the time to to report all of these things too, well, especially with all the you know, <laughs> yeah, the you don't want to be texting while driving and such oh. too. You know, it makes me wonder no. when people are actually reporting these. But and it's good too, uh, just from a safety standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, you do have the ability to connect it. Um, and most most uh, newer cars these days, um, where it can give you the notica notifications about things that are coming up uh, verbally, they, they, you don't have to look at your phone, which is. Uh, Obviously, how I use it, and everyone, everybody else should use it <laughs> for sure. For sure, I don't want another handheld ticket. <laughs> yeah, I, and I imagine in a few years, the pretty much ways will probably be rolled into Google Maps the way that Google works with all these things. They, like I said, they've they've slowly been rolling them into Google. I use Google Maps almost exclusively for navigation and such. I'm going to try a ways out. Uh, but I did notice that uh, maybe about a year ago or so, they started adding in the the way they even said like ways notifications about like where the accidents are and such. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to check out. I'm going to definitely check out ways uh, and give it a, give it a whirl. Great. Okay, so I think we're getting to the end of our show there. Uh, so I'll just conclude it off here. So if you like the show, subscribe to our show on Stitcher, 
iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts online. And please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on those sites. It really helps. You can watch this and past shows at spotlight.century21.ca slash podcast. If you need to reach us, you can email us anytime at podcast at homania.com. That's podcast at H-O-M as in Mary, E-A-N as in Nancy, I-A dot com. So this podcast was brought to you by the Spotlight Marketing Program, an exclusive marketing package available only to Century 21 agents in Canada. Spotlight provides agents with a comprehensive internet marketing strategy for their listings. We provide high-quality HDR photography, stunning HD video tours, a cutting-edge responsive website, and an extensive advertising system that help you sell your listings faster, sell them for more money, impress your clients, and generate leads. Find out why so many top agents are using Spotlight by visiting spotlight.century21.ca today. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye now.